0: Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Ether is
1: the perfect drug for Las Vegas. In this town, they love a drunk. Fresh meat. Come on, my So they put us through the turnstiles and turned us loose inside.
0: Hello, and welcome to Dose of Ether. This is your weekly podcast where we share the latest in Ethereum. And the protocol ecosystem and dApp layer. Uh, I am one of your co-hosts, I'm Bijan, and I have Lucian. Hello. And today we're going to talk about Lucian's trip to F Berlin. Super excited to hear about that. New Cypher, WebAssembly and the future of blockchain computing, ConnectHub and, ConnectHub and the amazing work that Chain is doing, in addition to some 0x version 2 uh, developments and Lucian's experience with their team. So, Let's get into it, man. Uh, excited for you to be back. It sounds like you had a rough rough trip back, but tell us about how Eth Berlin was.
1: Yeah, the flight was rough, but the trip itself was uh, awesome. Um, Berlin of itself is an amazing city. It's um, really kind of a city that's outgrown its uh, former communist past. It was split in two up until the early 90s and you always saw remnants. Uh, For example, the hotel where I was staying was right next to the Berlin Wall. And uh, the event was essentially like a walk down uh, the Berlin Wall and then right over the bridge um, and into a neighborhood in East Berlin. And you can kind of tell what part is East and what part is West Mm. because of the homogenization of the East uh, Berlin buildings and the fact that you can tell that they're definitely, like, former communist buildings, but they're completely refreshed, redone, and really taken over. Um, I loved how young and vibrant the atmosphere and the people were. Um, that was one of the main things that I noticed, like, the city was very young, uh, and and had so a lot that of energy. N- so you yeah.
0: de- you notice the difference culturally, even between the two areas?
1: Um, I didn't spend that much time in West Berlin, um, but I was always right on the border. And um, culturally, you saw remnants of this like youthful rebellion of overthrowing uh, the former communists. And mm. there were museum pieces of uh, 90s kids, and there was a real celebration of graffiti and street art as an active act of rebellion. Wow. Yeah, and Very you cool. saw graffiti so it's like a good, It's a good
0: place for the counterculture of crypto to to come out of in that in yeah. that country. Yeah, that's cool and to hear. the
1: the entire Berlin Wall just became an art mural, um, and the graffiti that kind of littered the streets was just basically an outpouring of self-expression and radical freedom. Um, the fact that the conference was held there also proves why. Um, I've noticed that most uh, blockchain people from Europe are based in Berlin, also London and uh, um, other places like that. But a lot of them are based in Berlin. And I kind of get the feeling why. It's,
0: mm. uh, and it's are there like, any notable projects that you can think of that are, that are out of Berlin that are far along right now?
1: Um, the weird thing is that the projects themselves don't have to be established in Berlin because almost everyone that I met there is working remote. Um, I, on, I, from my personal belief, uh, half of the people who attended ETH Berlin uh, were people in established blockchain companies um, and they used it as a way to kind of meet and get the whole team together.
0: Interesting. So so you're saying the people that are meeting and interacting in Berlin may not even work for companies that are based there. But do they live there? Are they foreigners living in Berlin, you know, doing crypto for some reason, working remotely, but still traveling to do that?
1: yeah i mean most of the people that i met there were working remotely um because it's so difficult to find people to work for blockchain teams remote work is actually the standard
0: right And, And, uh, and open source projects i mean you don't expect you don't know where anyone is from
1: it's true and it's possible to find people who make like real meaningful um Commits to the project from anywhere and incorporating them into the team and having a kind of open mindset is uh, actually the default. So, almost all the teams that I met there were working remote. And um, yeah, this was kind of like a way to get uh, the teams together. And it was interesting because even though they were the sponsors, they were also participants. Um, A lot of the people who brought who were the sponsors and who had mentors were also uh, fielding teams for the hackathon. Um, so when you see the quality of the projects coming out, you realize like, oh wait, like there's people who are core implementers of Ethereum who are coming this weekend and doing an extra side project along some coworkers and including other people and. It kind of made sense. It's like it's not just a grab bag group of people from around the Berlin area. There's a lot of effort that are made for people um, to actually get together, make meaningful connections at these types of events, and uh, have a like short term collaboration
0: on uh, some kind of new project. And and it's it, really it's a really a great thing because you know when you're working remotely digitally and you're on a team it's so hard to get that same kind of relationship um, that you get from a face-to-face interaction and when you're trying to build together in the same direction it's very easy to think of the the avatar across the screen as impersonal and somebody you can attack or or whatever and arguments can get out of hand very quickly when you don't have a face to a name so bringing these (laughs) people together all you know and and I think it must ease some of the the craziness and, and the arguments um, that can divide us when really we're all trying to build something together. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it also bridges the gap, like cross projects. Uh, it was kind of funny, um, a group of people that were working for the same company uh, that both are like multiple people all worked in Berlin. Uh, they never met in person despite working together for like a better part of a year. So <laughs> it's just like the the style of collaboration that some of these organizations have is uh, internet first. Um, but having like the human connection and having such a cool place to get together uh, created some really interesting projects.
0: I hope you met some really fun, cool inter- and interesting people. And I hope we talk about you know, some of the, um, you know, the more notable people in the space and, the, and their projects and what they shared. Um, let's start with new cypher. So, you know, I know a little bit about them. I'm sure our listeners have heard. Um, but, but what was their at Berlin presentation about and, and tell us a little bit about their project as well for those who don't
1: know. Yeah. So, um, just as an introduction, like there, um, uh, they actually submitted a project and, Um, they actually implemented the first uh, homeomorphic encryption built into a smart contract. Um, I mean, even the concept of homeomorphic encryption kind of blows my mind, and despite even having heard about it from them, um, it still kind of blows my mind that it's possible, but it's essentially conducting uh, some kind of computation on fully encrypted data without unencrypting it. So like imagine doing a summation of information that is fully encrypted. It's kind of like a, it's theoretically possible, but practically to do it in anything that's remotely useful currently has an incredible time complexity. Um, But they actually did it during a hackathon and they did a first successful implementation and they're basically able to do. Uh, a basic arithmetic proof using fully encrypted data. Wow. So, yeah, the, yeah,
0: I mean, if I just extend that logic, does that mean then that you could, if you can compute with encrypted data, then you could essentially do anything. You can d- build a program, you can build a Turing complete, can you build a programming language that works just directly on encrypted data without necessarily knowing what it is? Or is that theoretically, not really the right way to think about it? Theoretically,
1: yes. Uh, practically, the amount of time that it takes to conduct these types of computations grows at such a fast rate that it is impractical to do any operation besides basic arithmetic. But the guys at Cipher actually paralyzed the process to run it on GPUs, making it a hundred times faster than has ever been able to be done before. Wow. And the funny thing is, is that that's not even their main project. <laughs> they just did that and like they implemented it for this hackathon yeah and i mean this is
0: this is exactly what i tell people you know and and i just saw a a little clip from ben horowitz an interview with him you know he's one of the partners at a16z and he was saying you know crypto is where all the development excitement is all the research and, and all the energy and money is going i mean he hasn't seen this since the internet of just right. the sheer number of developers and resources and, and talent and, and pure research and, and great solutions just being developed at such a fast pace.
1: Yeah, and it's really interesting seeing that in person because uh, an event like ETH Berlin, um, it's exclusively that. And you can strike up a random conversation with anyone and it will essentially further your own understanding. Uh, it's impossible not to learn something and you'll learn something guaranteed from everyone there, um, and that's that's kind of why I like it. It's super inclusive. It's very open. Uh, the event itself was free. Um, it's just about showing up, having an open mind, and kind of getting blown away by some really smart people. And super I mean, cool. just to like highlight some other their projects. Um, I didn't stay for the last day, so I didn't see the presentations because of how I had to set up my uh, trip. But um, another application, what it was to be able to to, um, sign smart contracts or uh, execute transactions using the um, Estonian digital citizen ID card. So it's like this hardware wallet that's uh, supported and recognized by the Estonian government to like provide you a digital citizenship. Um, There was a, um, there were ways to essentially, I mean, a lot of the projects were really good. You can check them out at the ETH Berlin submissions and it's really cool because you can essentially see uh, what people are able to create within a very short period of time and it's, easier to, uh, uh, to basically see their, their code and how they built it because if you can read the code that someone wrote in, like, 36 hours and kind of understand what they were trying to do, then you kind of, like, get to see into their thinking process. Um,
0: yeah. That's, uh, yeah, I, I really will... Check out that out. I had no idea that their submissions were published yeah. like that. So is that is this a similar conference to at San Francisco? I actually did yep, res- just yeah, get into that, um, so I'll be I'll be attending that. I, I believe you are too, right? I haven't applied. Um,
1: I'm aiming to go to Prague, um, which is sold out. So I will figure out how I will get in. Um, I'm also in like a career transition myself as well, so we'll see. Uh, I'll probably figure that out sometime next week.
0: Yeah, but that's in a few. That's in a few weeks, and that yeah. is a kind of a similar setup, right? Where you're building yeah. small projects, and there's some presentations and such. Yeah,
1: I think that's the first week of November. Um, so that's DevCon. DevCon is like the biggest uh, yearly conference, but ETH Berlin and ETH San Francisco. Uh, these are part of Eth Global. Um, which is uh, somehow linked to the Ethereum Foundation, but regardless, from everything that I've seen, it they're just really high quality events um, that bring in a lot of the community's support and excitement. So you're gonna have a great time. And Yeah, I be- haven't been
0: to a, a blockchain conference yet, so I'm really excited about it. So let's let's move yeah. forward. Um, man, WebAssembly and and the future of blockchain computing. The the just the development pace of Ethereum is making me see more clearly now that, that you know, I, I even with Bitcoin's superior network effects, if you want to argue that, there is just so much happening that is going to bring in so many more, so much deeper of, a, of an ecosystem for Ethereum that I just don't see a way for Bitcoin to catch up with that. But let's talk about WebAssembly. Um, I think the, the big takeaway that I had from, from this article that will published in our podcast summary, is that we're moving from EVM to eWASM, the Ethereum WebAssembly um, equivalent of, of the Ethereum virtual machine. But um, tell us about the benefits and, and also the opportunities there. So uh, WebAssembly
1: is actually a proposal that I think has been worked on for about uh, 10 years. If uh, the listeners are familiar with Assembly, it's basic machine Uh, communication code. It's a limited set of instructions. It's uh, considered to be like as low-level as a human can really interpret machine-level code. Um, It's like you push a bit of data here, you access a bit of data there. Um, It's essentially an instruction set. And essentially what the Ethereum Virtual Machine is is an instruction set that's compiled into bytecode and deployed onto a blockchain. So the thinking is, is that if we take this larger, more well recognized and uh, more developed um, system of WebAssembly and we, re- we limit its capability uh, for everything to be deterministic uh, and useful in a blockchain capability, then all of a sudden we have all of this tooling that is being developed on by people like um, Google and the Mozilla Foundation, and all of a sudden we have a lot more ecosystem tools and we don't have to build everything from scratch just exclusively for the EVM.
0: Yeah, it seems um, not only that the movement to eWASM will provide a ton of just convenience um, uh, features and efficiency gains for dApps, um, so, so, that specifically is really interesting to me that, you know, it's not only expanding the ecosystem by allowing developers in the decentralized application world to use the same tools that everyone else is using, but it also, by using EWASM and WebAssembly, there's some unique benefits to distributed applications. Um, and and the, the ability to run really efficiently is hugely important when you're distributing your computation across thousands of nodes, right? Um, yes. and and you know the way that the current virtual machine is built uh, in a 256 bit format with, where where you know there has to be a translation to the architecture that the node is running if it's 64-bit now you have this just this inefficiency in in trying to parse and and process that that compute resource um, yeah so
1: ideally like, we don't really have hardware that runs on 256-byte uh, architecture. Um, if you ever like upgraded windows from 32-bit to 64-bit, um, then you it's actually in reference to the architecture of um, the CPU and the operating systems. Um, and the reason is essentially to allow for, by default, larger number uh, types and um, essentially if you want to have hardware accelerated um, blockchain solutions you have to actually accommodate for uh the design of hardware
0: right, right? and
1: um and they yeah, made were... those
0: decisions it seems like because uh you know to sha 256 and the, whatever hashing algorithm they're using is in the same bit uh, form and right. Um, yeah, uh, but but the the long term impact of that is it takes a lot more development resources to build those kinds of applications, and then they run inefficiently um, on the, the the hardware that it's actually running on. Um, right. And so so. the developers have built a bunch of tools to mitigate this and save compute resources, but they're building a lot of extra complicated stuff to ha- to address really low level decisions that were made years ago. Now Ethereum is way ahead of the game because they've been working on research in this direction for some time um and it looks like they're going to be moving to WebAssembly, which you know will bring huge performance be- uh, benefits it will be multi-platform like memory safe um it maps to various different cpu architectures and so you know and, and it will allow um different types of uh, programming applications that developers are used to using to be um to be run up practically natively in a browser. And that is just a huge, huge benefit. Um, Being able to, you know, where users, uh, developers don't have to learn Solidity or some other, you know, weird programming language that they're not familiar with to build distributed applications. If they can use Java and see, um, they're gonna be building a lot more.
1: Uh, Agreed, agreed. And they can use any language that um, compiles down to WebAssembly and essentially anything that compiles down to a low, lower-level virtual uh, machine uh, language. And um, unfortunately, that doesn't actually include JavaScript, although TypeScript, which is a close uh, offshoot of JavaScript, can be compiled down to it. Um, but mainly, I think the, the people leading this are the people who um, is parity, who implemented the Rust implementation. Um, because Rust is and can be translated efficiently into uh, a version of WebAssembly. And um, Go is also working on being able to be compiled down to WebAssembly, but it's not fully there yet. So a lot of the development in this project has fallen under parity, and I spoke to someone that actually worked on the project. And, uh, yeah, essentially... um, the uh, e awesome, wasm uh, development is ongoing and it's one of the leading scaling solutions that's being undertaken by the Ethereum Foundation along with uh, sharding and um, the development of plasma. This is actually another branch of uh, of the development and mm. it's to be expected and it's probably going to be harder to write um, smart contracts in a uh, eWASM-compatible format, um, mainly because I assume that you're going to have to have an understanding of a lower-level programming language um, in order to have it compiled down to eWASM. Uh, The nice thing thing is that you're going to have tooling from Mozilla and Google, and you're going to be able to write smart contracts in Rust, um, the problem is, is not a lot of people know Rust, and honestly, no one knows WebAssembly, <laughs> not yet. But this is he- uh, hearing about this implementation is actually the main motivation and drive for me to actually learn um, a, a language like Rust and WebAssembly itself. I haven't heard of any other use for it yet. Um, Java, this is WebAssembly is meant to replace Java as something that could run natively in every browser. It's just that, um, I meant to say JavaScript, but JavaScript hasn't really gone anywhere. It's still ubiquitous. It's still, every web application's front-end still runs on JavaScript. Eventually, everything's gonna move to WebAssembly, um, but right yeah, now, there's not a lot of programmers who right. do use
0: it. I think the the recognition, though, is that this is the future. It's just so far and beyond um, the current status quo that it seems like everyone is in agreement um, that this is the direction to go. And I think a lot of people forget that blockchain development is a very long-term kind of game. You have to have long time horizons. It's um, true. To yeah. to to really understand the benefits that we're bringing to the world, because you know people are crying about scalability, 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 and that we need it now, but uh, the reality is, is that we have to build for a, a platform that's going to last many decades. And and your point about JavaScript is is really salient. That if you build the wrong thing or you build it inefficiently and it becomes a global standard, well, now it's really hard to to change. Um, right. So these kinds right. of movements and and further, you know, the the merging of sharding and Casper into a single roadmap for Ethereum is another representation of this. It's like, hey, yeah, it'll take a little bit longer, but we're building something that's going to last generations.
1: Yeah. Yeah, hopefully. And everyone who's worked on JavaScript knows that it's transient, right? First, it was... First, it was like React, then it's view, and then whatever model view controller framework. It, it just feels transient as a language. Suppose I think the the history of JavaScript was that it was built over a course of a weekend by uh, one of the developers at Netscape. And somehow it became the most used programming language ever. <laughs> and it's well, still
0: a, that's a pretty good accomplishment. So um, let's talk about a- another great accomplishment. And they've had several spank chain, the company that I'm sure your mother doesn't want. You don't want to talk to your mother about. Um, they are at the forefront of production level implementations of Ethereum state channels, and among other really interesting research uh, that they're doing with Um, their, their, uh, staking mechanism and, and booty, um, maybe we can talk about all this stuff, but connects hub is really the main innovation. And as I understand it, it's the first, you know, really production ready state channel that's available. And Spank chain is trying to use it to power the next generation of monetizing porn. Really? Um, they want all of the, uh, internet ecosystem to rely on their, um, state channel, um, development and implementation so
1: this is actually uh Spang chain's second implementation of a state channel and i mean first of all that's kind of mind-blowing because there's very few organizations i think there's only three production um uh, production state channel implementations and spank chains already on their second one so uh, connects hub is only a part of all of the things that SpankChain chain has released the um, the staking of booty <laughs> uh, I wish I could say that without laughing <laughs> um, is actually a different subject matter in which they've developed Chain is the owner of something like 1.5 percent of Dai stable tokens. Oh wow! Um, amongst other things, but yeah, we'll get into that later. The idea of Connects Hub is the fact that it is a non-custodial um, state channel implementation. So the previous state channel implementation probably had the smart contract. Um, that was running the state channel as the custodian or the holder of people's funds and basically the final determinant of uh, What money you sent to the cam girl or what money you withdrew? Um, after leaving the show and the interesting thing about this implementation is that because it's decentralized and because it's non custodial, there's literally this chain never actually gets in possession in any way of the funds that the customers are using so they could neither censor if they were ordered to by um let's say some government or they couldn't um like unfairly refuse to disperse payments to uh any of the people working um on the platform and, and further
0: because you know we're dealing in the world of blockchain these are pseudonymous, um, transactions, right? So you have an industry that is in desperate need of, uh, trustlessness, you know, users not having to sign in with Facebook to their porn account. Um, and, and cam girls, you know, protecting themselves, their own identities and things like that. They don't, they don't, they, they have a lot of seedy people that they may, that they may deal with on a regular basis. Being able to take money, Um, without government censorship is is huge. In many countries, this kind of activity is illegal. So spank chain being at the forefront of these developments actually makes a lot of sense. Um, Porn is kind of trying to get away from regulators and and is a huge industry and is usually at the forefront of technological advancements. And so um, it's a really amazing thing that they've done here. And this is not just for normal distributed applications. I think any distributed application can benefit from the usability improvements that they're introducing here. You know, we don't have the crazy fees that are associated with um, making transactions on the master ledger. And um, by by entering in this engagement as a user with SpankChain, now you can do micro-tipping with other um, users for their comments, if you're reading their comments. Um, or you can be tipping the, the, um, the people that you're being entertained by um, without, you know, worrying about these these crazy um, fees that you might get on on the lower protocol level.
1: Yeah, And in terms
0: of um,
1: why this is necessary, there was a, a law passed in the United States called uh, the Stop Online Sex Trafficking Act, uh, which was meant actually to target, um, this website called backpages.com or whatever I don't know I hope it's yeah. shut down it's messed up I, I, re- I remember reading a Washington Post news article about how a mother found her 14 year old daughter being trafficked on backpages through a simple Google search and it was just like one of those like horror stories that actually prompted the creation of regulation, um, but the reaction is sometimes the the um, the regulation does worse than uh, just stop this one bad actor.
0: Right, and and uh, the implication from that was that. Um, these website operators are responsible for the content that their users publish. I mean, Backpage was just a Craigslist. It was a Craigslist yes. that had a adult section, and it wasn't moderated. Um, I right. think the issue and with the 14-year-old old here was that they had contacted the founders of the website and said, yo, take this down. This is my daughter. She's being trafficked. And they did nothing. Right. So these guys yeah. are now being sent to jail, rightfully so, because they had <laughs> right. a power to, to stop uh, an illegal act. But Reddit, should Reddit have to police every single... Um, subreddit for for offensive content or potentially illegal or activity. adult
1: content. Yeah, it's it's um it's a tricky subject. And the weird thing was, Backpages was already uh, working off of Bitcoin. So the regulation that actually was entered into, um, into law because the law passed earlier this year and has gone into effect since. Um, the consequence has actually been the. Um, the prevention of sex workers from having bank accounts at all. So uh, cam girls or people who are receiving payments from cam sites literally saw their bank accounts frozen with the money in it. Um, wow. So yeah, I mean, in, in essence, these are people who are performing a service for money and um, the regulation has made it so that um, they are excluded from basic financial services, which they previously depended on for their livelihood. Um, the necessity of an application like this, which is literally a unstoppable website in which you have a decentralized payment system um, in which the funds will n- can never actually be uh, seized or prevented from being dispersed, is necessary on a whole nother level now yeah and, and, it, and it
0: was totally possible before yeah. you could have done that with bitcoin but what spank chain has done by adding a state channel implementation that they are running the hub on is they eliminate the cost and latency issues that that is what makes it so hard to use bitcoin and and you know as it is today for one-on-one transactions it's just impractical but if right. if spank chain is able to create a a, a slick ui to, to not win a non-custodial way where they don't have control over your funds to offer a service that is familiar to users, um, then they're going to win and they're going to be able to take on the websites and companies or just the, the, the empty space created from this regulation that is, you know, in many ways silly. Now, will this be used for, for ill purposes? Probably. Um, and it also that also maybe can't be stopped. I'm not sure how Spank Chain is going to deal with situations like they had on Backpage, but um, but there's no doubt that the user experience improvements here are huge, and this will just continue to move in this direction.
1: So I think the way that um, Spank Chain is preventing that is that they are not taking a percentage or a cut. So they actually have no profit motive uh, connected to the um, publication of illegal or illicit material. That's there's a. There's yeah. essentially supposed to be no incentive for them to do that, and I've and Plus, I've been I've think... been
0: looking at this too because I think a lot of any 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 token based business that is looking at minting their own token and looking at securities law and thinking, "Am I going to be treated as a security?" has to think about what is their organization's involvement with the operation of the network. And SpankChain clearly is trying to distance themselves from, um, you know, the the actual listing and transaction process by saying hey we don't even know what these transactions are right we're not even taking money for them but the truth is is that their founding team their investors um, particularly the ones early on they probably hold 60% of the total supply so they have a huge implied incentive to grow the value of the network even if they are not taking a fee directly Um, and if there are any inflation mechanics or I I don't really know how their token dynamics work but um, clearly they are benefiting from this
1: all right. So I think um, next show we're going to talk about the crypto economics of what they're doing because they have their own stable coin and they have a staking mechanism, which is actually uh, backs this up. But I'm, I probably don't want to get into it because um, there already is a way in which I can stake my existing spank in exchange for booty. <laughs> and, <laughs> and one day you'll um, stop
0: laughing at that.
1: <laughs> yeah, but until then, I'm actually going to do it. So then, talk about it. I'm going to actually talk about my experience, how, what process it was, um, and yeah.
0: And next time we'll actually link. But this to is a kid-safe show, so we will keep it PG. <laughs> if there are it's, any it's... if there are any children that understand the, the details of Ethereum <laughs> development <laughs> ecosystem, then
1: um, yeah. The so there. my research is uh, my research into the Spank Bank, as it's called, is
0: uh, it's for science. Yeah, yeah, and and I will be uh, uh, you know a reference for your wife. You know, if she has any problem with it, I'll tell her it's for it's for work, honey. <laughs> Um, cool. So, you know, I think the final topic that we wanted to discuss uh, is 0x. Did you talk with the f- founding team or one of the core developers there when you were at ETH Berlin?
1: Um, I did briefly, um, but mostly I just talked to people using 0x and I kind of understood its um, its presence in this ecosystem. 0x um, is the leading protocol for. Uh, decentralized exchanges and um, what it did is essentially it created a wrapper around Ethereum so that it's an interchangeable ERC20 token so that um, other websites can essentially um, trade uh, Ether for any given ERC20 token um, through smart contracts and through non-custodial smart contracts as well. Um, so that you go through an exchange, but the exchanges are actually liquidity providers, and what they do is match buyer and seller. And it's a really interesting... Uh, so is this
0: a way to merge different order books between you know, fragmented decentralized exchanges?
1: Exactly. Actually, it is the standardized protocol for decentralized exchanges.
0: But they would they would still only work on with Ethereum or ERC twenty or ERC seven twenty one tokens, right? Like, there's no inner blockchain communication here, like Plasma or uh, Cosmos or Polka, Polkadot. No,
1: no. Um, yeah, the no, it's it's not. I think the um, uh, most likely candidate for that in the near term future is the Raiden network. Which is oh, really? really. I didn't common. know
0: Raiden would be able to handle Bitcoin as well as Ethereum.
1: It's supposed to be in, uh, compatible with the Lightning Network. So, having uh, cross chain transactions, although it's not a stated goal, is a potential application um, because they are like Raiden. You can think of Raiden and Lightning as uh, somewhat related, right. um, but this is just for ERC20 tokens because you're just doing on-chain transactions and I mean I think the real reason for something like this is uh, for the real use case behind something like Shapeshift. So Shapeshift at least it used to be a place where you could um, go to an exchange that doesn't meet um, AML KYC um standards right so you don't have to provide information to open an account to be able to exchange crypto tokens and i think the uh real like niche use case for decentralized exchanges is to fill in because as we saw uh, regulators really came after shapeshift and uh, probably changed their entire business model with some uh, some freedom, of some requests. Yeah, that they this, may, is, this may. is
0: a huge thing, right? And I don't know if Zero X's approach is the right one. Um, I know, obviously, we're gonna we're gonna need inter-blockchain de- decentralized exchanges with, you know, deep order books in order for them to be competitive with centralized exchanges. You have Binance, who is you know starting to move in the direction of decentralized exchanges. They understand the threat. Right, and they don't want their Kodak moment, where um, some they, they ignore digital, you know, photography. If Binance ignores decentralized exchanges, they they may be in trouble in the future. And then you have systems like you're saying Shapeshift or um, Bancor and and uh, Airswap. You know, these are other exchange type things. This is absolutely critical for the DAP ecosystem. You don't want users to have to have wallets for dozens of DAP coins. You know, if the DAP coin is embedded and useful in the network, then in order to use the DAP, you're going to have to participate by by owning some tokens. But that should be as kind of under the hood as possible from the user standpoint. And transactions between tokens should happen really fluidly. Um, So if a user wants to withdraw a a reward for posting a comment, let's say, on Reddit or, or a decentralized version of Reddit, then they may want that in U.S. dollar or Ether or DAI or, or some other form, right? And and businesses need to be able to facilitate this by having easy decentralized protocols for exchanging one token into another without oracles, ideally, that, that rely on subjective uh, inputs. Then we can get um, way more application development and way more innovation.
1: Yeah, agreed. And... Um... The, the volume on decentralized exchanges, um, I'm actually looking at something called zeroxtracker.com and it's supposed to be like a summation of, um, of the actual volume being um, currently on the network. And there's some things that are kind of weird. For example, like the uh, current network volume is about one and a half million dollars um, in the last 24 hours. And uh, from their charts, it seems to have peaked uh, a couple of days ago at about 8 million in volume. Um, Most of the recent activity is in reference to DAI, Hmm. which is kind of cool. People are using this to exchange into stable coins. Um, But if I look at the top token for the last month in terms of volume, it is Bao Bao token right after WE, I no is I've
0: that, never heard of BAU token. It it's, may be. Yeah, dumpling. But... It sounds great. Is it? Yeah, um, yeah. The, <laughs> it sounds like, you know, they've got 100,000 trades um, already happened on Xerox on Relayers. They have 15 yeah. of them. It's mostly ERC20 tokens. This new version, I mean, the reason we're talking about it, they have a version two live on mainnet and it allows for the ERC721 token um, standard. Which is a huge improvement over ERC-20, it allows things like new assets like NFTs, non-fungible tokens, tokenized securities, derivatives, and and others can start taking form. This is a multi-trillion dollar potentially space, not necessarily accruing to um, a token, but uh, will potentially... Hold the world's value. You know, it's it's quickly becoming tokenized. Every, every kind of value is becoming tokenized, and these tools are allowing them to this value to flow freely. So huge development from Zero X, and the beauty of this is that we're we're building on the shoulders of giants, right? We're, but but mm-hmm. we're doing it in such an open and transparent way. The Bitcoin white paper was the starting point where we're saying, hey, all of this. Yes, you can extract value as a developer, as a user, as a consumer, and we can publish all of this for free for everyone to use and change and develop on top of. There's never yep. been something like this before. Like there are companies that are being radically transparent with with their core research and development. This is this is craziness in the historical um, internet and, and business realm. And yeah, companies exactly. like Zero X just putting their stuff out in front of people and new cipher you know they're not holding it to themselves and and um we're going to see a lot of great developments into the future
1: right yeah it's zero x essentially uh established a standard and there are 15 zero x relayers that built on top of this standard and these are actual companies decentralized exchanges that have built upon a protocol. And they have an interoperable standard now on how to actually uh, create and merge liquidity pools. So just like we saw the ERC-20 token developing a standard for smart contracts that it's easier for uh, incorporation into exchanges, now we have a system that allows exchanges essentially to incorporate as relayers. And it's kind of cool. I love the idea of decentralized exchanges. I would love to see... Uh, decentralized exchanges taking up more and more of the actual uh, trading volume. Um, When you see trading volume on a decentralized exchange, you know that there is no wash trading. (laughs) You paid for those gas fees, there's no free ride, there's no... like the prices that are set are essentially uh, the meeting point between a buyer and a taker. Um, I think the transparency and Uh, the gain that a trader gets from looking into them is probably a welcome relief compared to uh, dealing with uh, closed sourced exchanges that essentially Can sell you out to like a whale or front run your trades. Yeah, I mean, well, this is still, there are
0: still huge problems, of course, with decentralized exchanges, and front run running is a big one. You know, if, because of latency issues, a lot of the adoption is just not possible. So, um, and it's very very easy to attack. And and if you can stuff a block, then then perhaps you can get away with somebody's money uh, before their trade right. gets through. So like, yeah. it's there are yeah. trade offs that need to be resolved. I love the idea of merging decentralized and centralized order books, and then you get to a point where the ordering system can become a commodity and then you're trying to compete over the user experience. I think that's the direction right. things will go. It'll be hybrid because there are benefits to centralized exchanges as to decentralized and there are trade-offs. So it'll be interesting to see where it goes. In any case, I uh, want to give uh, a, a thanks to uh, to you Lucian for, for co-hosting this with me to uh, the Bitcoin Podcast Network for hosting us. Uh, this was your weekly dose of Ether. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks. I'm yeah, you until again. next time.
1: Thank you.